it takes to build purpose-driven organizations. We're going to focus on vision. We're going to focus on mindset. We're going to focus on mental models. We're going to focus on actionable tactics. My job is to bring out the best all of our, my guests. I'm really privileged to have my friend Jenny Z here with us. She was a typical high achiever. She used to work for the likes of Disney, Bain Consulting Group, Starbucks, and, and she had an unexpected turn of events that actually have her question, what does it mean to have self-worth? So I invited her to share with us what she did to have so many different pivots in the search of her self-worth. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, CK. Glad to be here. So you and I, we knew each other since 2005 at their UCLA Reardon program. Would you say that was the beginning of your search or have you always been the kind of person who is looking and seeking to find a higher purpose? Good question. I think I've always been a person who's seeking happiness. And when and then during the time when we met, I was seeking belonging mm. and also professional achievement, which I thought is what would bring me happiness. Mm. Being an immigrant to the US, I came here when I was 17. Reading programs was the first time where I found out that I can be friends with many people, different ethnicity, different backgrounds, and that I don't only feel at home with people who are from my own background, usually people who are of Chinese descent. Um, so I think at different stage of my life, I was seeking something different, whether it's belonging, or professional achievement or otherwise, which is for now in most recent times more around spirituality. Mm. Um, all of it was to be happy. Like how can I be happier has been the search the whole my whole life. What's your definition of happiness? I know it's hard to qualify or quantify the experience of happiness, but mm -hmm. do your best. What's your definition of happiness? Now, my definition of happiness is being at peace and satisfied in the moment. Because every moment, how I experience myself and my, the world changes. Mm. And sometimes I still feel down. Okay. But sometimes I just feel at peace and totally satisfied, even though the circumstances are exactly the same, nothing has really changed. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a it's that constant state of uh, feeling filled and happy. So you use the word fulfill and happy in the same sentence just now. Mm -hmm. What's your definition of fulfillment? Fulfillment, rather? I think of the word full in fulfillment. Uh, I think it's the feeling like your heart is full. 
and you're just grateful to be alive, that you don't need anything more, it's the stopping of seeking. Mm. I like uh, it. I like it. So I asked that question because sometimes people use those words interchangeably. And I believe there's, they're actually distinct. Uh, from my per personal point of view, happiness is, is deliciousness. It's fleeting, like eating chocolate, watching ice, watching Netflix, eating ice cream and so forth. It gives you that temporary moment of a peak experience, but it's short lived. And if you try to hold on to that temporary moment, then very drastic, very, very quickly. I think it's called the hedonic adaptation curve, right? It just goes down to nothing and even to negative. Cause if you eat a tub of ice cream afterwards, you're going to feel right. So, but at the same time, on the other side, there's for nutritiousness, you can eat a, you know, bowl of salad or something, not necessarily the most tasty things that you can get comparing to, let's say chocolate or ice cream, but your body feels so much better. So in my mind, it helps me to think about nutritiousness, nutritiousness, and then deliciousness. Can I offer something else? Of course, this is your interview. So I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, please show me. I think when I was still on my path of seeking, Mm -hmm. I was very much searching for happiness, as you said, which was temporary. Mm -hmm. And life felt like climbing one mountain after another. Like you get a goal, this is the peak, I'm going to climb it. When I get there, I'm happy, whether it's as simple as getting the potato chips I want or getting the degree or position that I've been hoping for. But then after that, as you said, the happiness is short-lived you come back down the mountain and you try to find another mountain. But now fulfillment, which is hopefully at least this time where I am able to be in more of my time, I am the mountain. Mm -hmm. I am always steady and full and there's no seeking. There's only looking out and seeing everything that pass, passes through like clouds or storms, sunshine, and how I feel inside is the same, mm. just like a mountain at peace and happy with whatever is showing up. Mm. So I like it. You kind of and that's thanks to Natalie, actually. <laughs> she helped me with a message, message channeling that I got that message. So it actually flips the worldview from someone who's climbing different mountains to I am the mountain. And the weather and the river, the ocean are just happening around me, but the mountain stays the same and um, steady and center and grounded. Is that mm -hmm. accurate? Yeah. And I'll also add that the mountain is not just this lifetime. Mm -hmm. The mountain is there even when you die. Mm -hmm. The essence of you exists beyond. Mm -hmm. 
So I love that we go esoteric really, really quick. This is, you know, 13 minutes in. Awesome. I love it. So is, but, but the idea of a mountain, again, I wanted to delineate this a little bit. It's you're talking about essence. You're talking about identities, right? And you're talking about different personalities. So when you say you're in a mountain, are you just speaking from the place of the essence, but the, the identities, the, the characteristics, the attributes, your skill sets, are they also part of the mountain that are impermanent or are they more of a, a jacket that you can take on and off? I think it's more of a jacket. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to think that in the next lifetime, I would have different skills and different appearance and yeah, different race, different everything. May not even be human. I don't know. But so, yeah, more like a jacket. So I want to bring it to more tactically. So when mm -hmm. people are going through something like this right now, there's a great shift right? The tidal waves, tsunami, you know, the the macro economics, the world are all shifting and it impacts how they look at themselves, how they look at their career, how they look at their relationships, how they look at their kids, how they look at the economy. I mean, their, I mean, everything, everything, right? So what are some of the ways other than I'm the mountain, <laughs> right? Is there ways to really help them with pivoting with the uh, circumstances changing? Yeah, I feel like if you are, if anyone is in the space where they are struggling with the external that's happening, use the struggle as a way to awaken to the fact that you are a mountain. Because most likely you do not feel like you're a mountain. And for the longest time in my life, I don't feel like I was the mountain. I feel like I was the climber. So there's not really a way that I can say, oh, if you do this, you wouldn't be struggling. The struggle is needed for the awakening to be at a place where you can just be at peace. So that's one thing, like there's no shortcut to elevate your suffering, you have to go through it and you have to find your way. And there are many guides, once you are ready and willing to seek for your salvation, you will find the guides. The universe will help you. The mindset's always, everything is happening for me, then everything is happening to me. So that's the first step, like change your mindset from everything's happening to me to everything's happening for me. So switching from the victim mindset to the creator mindset, but that only when you're in the creator mindset, then you can move to the next stage, which is everything is happening through me, which is where the mountain is closer to the mountain. It's not even a mountain yet. I think. And that's shifting from the creator to being just a vessel. So that's number two point. I, there's a number three point, but now it escaped me. So maybe yeah. it's not meant to be said. It's okay. You actually said number three already. It's to me, for me, for me, and then through me. Mm -hmm. 
There's then, actually a stage four, which right. is I'm just one with the world. That... As me. <laughs> As me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, that's really beautiful. So I, I, I love that model. I, I believe I learned that model from Reverend uh, Michael Beckwith of the Up Church. He had talked about mm -hmm. this, his sermons. It's things are happening to me. I'm the victim. Things are happening for me. You know, this helps me with my growth. Uh, things are happening through me. I'm part of the world. I'm a, a vessel. And things are happening as me. I'm a part of the collective whole, right? So that's helpful for me to, to think about all of this. So I'm curious to know sort of your mindset around this, because you had used the word suffering at some point in the last minute. Do you feel that having these mental models, your spiritual practices, your emotional practices and so forth helps uh, bypass the, the pain and suffering or it just helps you endure it better? You know what I'm asking here? I, um, I think the mental models help me process whatever experience I'm ha is, is happening for me at that moment. And if I'm feeling stuck uh, and energy is not moving, you know, I, I've, I've borrowed something that we've talked about, the David Hawkins model to see, okay, where am I on this scale? The, the model kind of describe all these emotions and where are you in your vibration? Or if I am really struggling with a thought, I felt like, oh, someone is mistreating me or something, then I, I say, okay, if life is happening for me, what is it trying to teach me? Uh, if life is happening through me, you know, what is it trying to do for me and for the other person uh, at this time? And it's just using it as a way to gain more wisdom and insight. Yeah. The way I see it for me is we're going to go through an emo emotional roller coaster, right? Anyway, I, my younger days, I thought, Emotions are bad. Let me just suppress it and ignore it and deny it all I can. And these days, it's more about embracing all of it, right? So for me, these mental models really helps me notice whenever I do get stuck, how can I move it? Because ultimately, for me, emotion is defined as energy in motion. How do I be in motion? Yeah. So... With all of this, you had said earlier, the through line, everything that you do is the pursuit of being happy. So is this still pursuing being happy or is it more of a just experiencing mm. happiness as it is in and then find happiness in each moment right now? I think what makes me happy has shifted as I search for happiness so now I don't I would I think I guess I'm still always hoping that I would be feeling good I, I think I, I still have those moments but when I do feel bad it's so much easier to go into the mountain space and be at peace with the negative emotions that come up to, it'll be easier to see them as storms instead of 
I am in being rained on or being attacked by the lightning. Like, uh, it's easier to, to observe the storm and not be identified with the storm. Yeah. This, this practice that you have taken on, we call a um, metacognition, right? So the ability to really, you know, observe the experience rather than just be the experience as part of your meditation practice. And then you can identify that you're not your thoughts, you're not your feelings, but you are the observer watching, watching it all. Is there any specific kind of meditation that you practice to really help you practice the skill of metacognition? It is um, just getting into the habit of meditating, ideally an hour a day for long periods of time for years. I think it's the consistency that helps. You and I both did Vipassana, the 10 day meditation retreat. That I've was very, that. very painful. <laughs> I have done that two times and served one time. And I, I think that really solidified my practice so mm. that I'm not afraid to meditate. I know I can sit for 10 hours if I need to, and I'm not afraid to do it. So it, I think a lot of people have a fear of meditating and that's how I started out. And so the first step is just to conquer your fear of meditation. Um, conquer. That's the yeah. word that I, that I, that I, oh, I wouldn't actually see you, Jenny Z use <laughs> so much. And, and, and I'm, I'm being facetious with you a little bit because to me, I'm very much a warrior, warrior mentality, right? Um, leaning to discomfort and charge and get into the, 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 the battling mode, so to speak. And for me, it actually takes effort to surrender and go with flow and, and so forth. And I'm learning right throughout. And for you, the way I view you is you're, you're much at ease with surrendering and flow. And I rarely, rarely hear you use words like conquer and, and then, and then kill it or something <laughs> like that. So, so I just wanted to, so would you concur with my observation of your temperament and, and energy level? Yeah, I think so. I read the book, the surrender experiment, maybe five years, six years ago, uh, it's one of the books that really helped me shift my mental model to surrender. David Hawkins too, we've talked about, he wrote The Power Versus Force, which was very impactful for me, but he also wrote the book Letting Go. And Letting Go is very similar to surrender. So I think by reading those types of books and learning from teachers like that really helped me get in a space of, uh, being a mountain, letting things happen instead of trying to make something happen. Um, when you talk about the conquering meditation, uh, it's interesting. I, I think it, in order to get to surrender though, maybe there is um, a journey you know? and the journey does require some determination and persistence, which is like conquering. Um, I see. I see. So that's yeah. the connotation, the determination aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's like you need to de be determined to surrender almost, right? Like when you meditate, all these bad sensations when they come up, you know, can you surrender to it and let it just be? And you're not trying to conquer the sensation. You're not trying to make them go away. You're surrendering to the discomfort with determination. And then you conquer your resistance to meditating. Yeah. It's almost paradoxical, right? Determined to surrender. <laughs> but 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 I think people can kind of pick on those words, but to me, life is full of paradoxes all over the place. And then that's why I love using the yin yang sign a lot on this podcast to illustrate. And with everything, there are two sides. There's no just one side of something. There's not just masculine. There's not just mask, uh, feminine. There's not just a positive. There's not just a negative. Everything comes in two sides. And then how do we find the equilibrium, the harmonious point in between the polarity? To me, that's the art of being fulfilled. That's the art of being human. So thank you for yeah. I myself was learning the difference between a yin and yang and how to find their perfect balance. I I think this conversation is very insightful for me because I haven't really thought deeply about how the masculinity works in the surrendering, which seems to be on the feminine side. Um, so thank you for the insight. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, part of my understanding now is because you have mentioned perfect harmony and really is a flow. It's ever present. This moment, finding harmony. This is the next moment, you know, I'm finding the next moment of harmony. So it's not a st static, I have arrived to perfection and yeah. I can now rest. I mean, the, the egoic might want that, but ultimately um, just it's fantasy from my point of view. Anyway, I've, mm -hmm. I've yet to met a person who is, I have arrived. To me, when someone tells me I have arrived right away, I'm like, no, you don't, <laughs> for sure you haven't arrived. <laughs> <laughs> like, for sure, guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I wanted to focus on, because you had made a really interesting uh, phrase in your bio, a search for self-worth. So can you help us, what did you find on your journey of the search for self-worth? Hmm. Um, so it, there was one moment in my life where something happened that really I feel like solidified my, my intention of why I want to search for self-worth. I was in for what? to search for self-worth. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was in Portland, Oregon, and I was outside one of these famous donut shop. There was this girl that was sitting on the floor with a sign that's basically asking for money. And I just looked at her. She is maybe 16. She has a dog. She has this sign and she's sitting on the floor. She's looking downward. She's looking very defeated. And somehow I made eye contact with her and 
I saw something in her that was similar to me. Somehow I recognized myself in this girl. And it occurred to me, I could be her. I could have easily been brought into this life and have a very different parents and you know where I grew up and I could be this girl sitting on the floor because I recognized the spirit. There was something about it. And I asked myself, okay, if I was this girl who was kind of begging for money just to have a place to stay for the night, how would I feel about myself? I probably feel like her, really defeated. Self-worth is probably low. I don't know how she feels, but I'm, I'm, you know, in my traditional immigrant parents' kind of upbringing, being homeless and begging for money is probably the lowest place you could go. Like, why, why aren't you independent and why are you achieving, you know, some kind of success that people looked up to you? Instead, you're a homeless person. And, and that was the moment when I felt like if my self-worth is so tied up in my achievement and my stability, who am I to my friends, all of these things, and I lost it all, but I'm still feeling the same inside, just like this girl, you know, <laughs> I, I want to be able to feel good about myself, you know, even if I was a beggar. And, and I know at the core, it's not about our possession and, and who people think you are. It's you yourself knowing who you are and what your values are and your heart and your spirit and your energy. That's truly who you are. So that's when I started my work on self-worth. And, and I, I think I also see people like the Dalai Lama and they, and there is something about them, like Eckhart Tolle and the Dalai Lama are the two people that I could just sense they are joyful no matter what happens, even if they have to sleep out on the street on a bench with no money in their pocket, they will be as happy as if they were invited to go on the Oprah Winfrey show, right? Mm. Um, their state of happiness is consistent and I want that. Mm. Um, that's what sets me up on this journey. And I know I'm not there. I, I I don't think we will ever arrive as we had talked about earlier, right? Yeah. The way I see this is just like very, very similar to just going to the gym. You know, maybe in the beginning, the first time you can weight lift like 20 pounds, but after consistent determination, practice, and then maybe at some point you'll be able to lift 500 pounds, right? With, with, and then with coaching, right? Mm -hmm. All of that. So in my mind, they have been practicing the practice of being joyful. So now they have this power of being, of having this robustness, 
in spite of whatever happening, whether it's me going to the Oprah Winfrey show or sleeping on the bench in the park in the, in, in the rain, they can continue to be that. At least that's the way I, 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 I see this. It's, it's a practice because I don't believe that they're human beings too, right? They experience all kinds of emotions and all kinds of thoughts. And in my mind, they just don't let those things impact their commitment. So that's the way I see it. And so I'm curious from your point of view, what may be some of the practices for you that's been pivotal to, because you, you said you saw that girl, Portland, five years ago, right? In your search for self-worth. So what are some of the tactical things that you have practiced to help you stay in that state of joyfulness? Meditation is one of them. And other than that, I can't say I can recommend more things. I mean, there's the general things that people say, oh, go out in nature or read you know, guidance from different books on spirituality, but I feel like everyone's path is different. So I am not sure how people can get to the joyful place. But I know I also want to be helpful. I think the first challenge I had to go through is letting go of pride. And this, again, I'm following David Hawkins' power versus force model. Pride is, if pride is your main motivation for everything you do, which is basically wanting to feel good about yourself, you want to feel proud of yourself, you want other people to feel proud of you, you are operating from the pride area. And so you are not going to get to joy through pride permanently because it will you will still be climbing mountain um so one of the practice i think is really questioning myself everything that i do in life what is motivating me to do those things is it because mm -hmm. i want to other people to be proud of me is it because i want to be proud of myself and if that's the main motivation you gotta work on how do you let that go and, and search for doing something that you are going to do just because you enjoy it mm. and the journey is worth it. The outcome doesn't really matter. Mm. And your, your self-esteem is not going to be totally destroyed if you fail. Mm. Um, you got to question where motivation is coming from. And, but then usually after pride, the next stage is courage. So what is something that I care about so much and I know I have an inner knowing that I care about this thing sincerely, not out of pride, but just because I care. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to take action on it and be courageous even if it feels scary to me mm. and I'm doing it really because I care about, yeah, it doesn't matter the outcome because the effort is, is what's bringing me happiness because I know I'm doing something about it. Mm. Um, yeah. So 
I think that is important uh, practice to really look at everything that you're doing in life and what is motivating me to do this thing. I want to, again, bring back to practicality a, a bit. So first, I relate to this journey. I was watching recently Taylor Swift's documentary, Miss Americana. Have you watched it? Yeah. I haven't, but I, I know the premise of the story. So she essentially walked through the hero's journey. She had shared about in the beginning, it was becoming, it, it, she wrote everything part a huge part of it was to get validation from her fans and if she didn't get the validation that she wanted she was crushed so recognizing that she had to take a couple of years off and then in those hiatus times that's when she really discovered her original love for music again it the documentary didn't make it explicit but from my third party perspective watching the joy that she get from writing and creating that's when her true essence shine and then as long as she can hold on to that that's her why that's her north star then i think she can become more and more robust in the way that she develop herself as a as a human being right so going back to my intention of making it more practical if you're an entrepreneur, if you have a business, if you have a family to care for, it's very challenging, shall we say, to not just lean into what our hearts desire at the same time, because you do have people who depend on you, right? So how do you, do you have any recommendation for them to, to, to balance this desire to, to lean into one's authentic, authenticity? our true essence and at the same time still take care of things in the physical realm. Yeah. But you actually took that journey. You went from being the top, right? BCG, Disney, Starbucks executive, you know, the number one business school in the world, right? Warden school. So it's not just like, oh yeah, I wanted to do something. I do it. You were very intentional in the achievement ladder and you were very, very high in that way, but you made a very conscious choice to not do that. So talk to us about that transition. How were you going this way and say, no, I'm going to go the other way. Yeah. Well, I, I can say I can't take all the credit for, for staying on the path that I'm staying on. I think life also sometimes have to shut certain doors so that I don't get back into corporate world. Um, like, this is not right for you. You got to stay on your path. You know, like I also trust the universe showing up. So I, I would say, again, if the world is happening for me, like you got to trust that and, 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 and continue walking. So if I, someone who I need to support my family, I may have to make very different choices because my love for my family would, and my need to provide for them is bigger than me searching for my, let's say, spiritual truth. And, and I think if you, you are, as I said, everyone's path is different. Not everyone may need to seek the path I'm, I'm going on. It's, but if 
but I would caution that really look at, is it really true that if you don't stay on the path that you are on, that then your family would be out on the street and they would be deeply suffering. A lot of times I think we have enough savings and money to actually take a break for an extended period of time and everything, all our needs would still be met. It's just changing our lifestyle to live a more simple lifestyle, not eating out as much. And I mean, this crisis is the best way to tell us how little we actually need. We don't need to go on a vacation. We, we don't need to spend money on all these things. So if you're really looking at how much you have and you can simplify your life so that your expenses are low and give yourself an extended period of time to do the spiritual search, it will lead to, I think for most people, a longer term happiness. So that's making the pivot. Yeah, and then the other thing I wanna say is Bees are the only, what I heard, bees are the only animals, living things, that are truly selfless. They only care about the good of the hive. And most of us do not operate from that space. We, you know, I listened to one of your podcasts talking about restaurant owner. If you're a restaurant owner, what are you going to do? And you... You're only going to focus on how am I going to make what work before work again um, say, during say what? what did you say? What worked before? Mm-hmm. What worked before works again. So if you're a restaurant owner, I want the customers to come back. I want to be. But do you ask yourself, is restaurant really necessary for the good of society and planet? I think that's the question. That if you ask that and you feel into what am I uniquely engineered and designed to give in this world for the greater good of the hive, not what I thought my path was, which is restaurant owner, but this, you know, when things happen and things are not working, is a good time to question. Should I even be in the restaurant business? Are restaurants even something that's really good for society? How many restaurants do we really need in this world? Yeah. And that may, those type of questions may help you figure out where your gifts are truly needed. So let me do a quick recap. What you're suggesting for anyone who's listening in, in, in this transitional space right now, given the pandemic situations on a global level, get grounded, uh, simplify your expenses, lifestyle, and so forth. So that way you have a longer runway. Give yourself the time and space and explore the inner space of, you know, who am I? What, what do I like? And then question the the value that you uniquely bring to your original business, let's say a restaurant or a yoga studio or, you know, things like that. Do we actually need a restaurant, right? And do we actually need a yoga studio? And what I will actually add to that is what is the main currency of what you're offering to the world? 
Because in a restaurant, I don't believe it's just an exchange of food. That's on a superficial level. That's something that we do exchange. At the same time, a restaurant can also be a community gathering place where culture is exchanged, where the local community people lean on to, to go to, right? So there's a psychological currency as well as the external currency too. So if you're able to actually think from that perspective, then all of a sudden you're freed up to explore other options to del deliver the same psychological currency rather than just being so fixed to the physical exchange of food as an example mm -hmm. so but without without digressing further so part of your questioning there is to say to basically set aside your identities your past and then just honestly look at what you bring, what you wanted to facilitate, how do you play a bigger part? What is the hive need on more of a collective level? Is that accurate recap of everything you said? Yes, very good. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so that's on the tactical level, but I, I wanna come back to self-worth again. Define self-worth and everything that you said to me so far is how do I feel about myself in moment to moment? That's my interpretation of what you said, but is that an accurate interpretation of your definition of self-worth? I actually don't think I've ever tried to define self-worth. So I don't know what will come. Um, I it is how I feel about myself. Yeah. Um, and it does fluctuate moment to moment. But if you have a healthy level of self-worth, then you don't get so impacted by the external circumstances. Your self-worth become pretty steady no matter what storm is happening. Yeah, the so fragility, how fragile that self-worth is. Yeah. As I say, Jenny is great. Oh, the world. Jenny is terrible. Oh, it's terrible, right? So, okay. <laughs> so let's talk about that for a moment. How? Do, so you know me well enough. I'm pretty easygoing, right? I don't have a huge shift, <laughs> pendulum swift. Oh, I'm amazing. I'm terrible. I'm amazing. I'm terrible. I'm pretty easy, even keel. Yeah. Do you, what's your, def, what's your preference? Pretty easy keel or is the you know, wide swing or just the anti-fragileness of your, whatever range you have is fine. Mm. Of course, I don't think anyone wants to be on a roller coaster of high self-worth, low self-worth. I, 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 hey, no judgment. I, I, yeah, I know a lot of people. Do yeah. that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. I, I want to be more even keel. Um, and actually, it's uh, also one of those duality, ironic things where the more self-worth you have, probably the less you think about your self-worth. It's like... Mm -hmm the more you feel one with the universe and that you are one with humanity and it's 
easy for you to see yourself as just one of the many bees uh, instead of the queen bee. So it's easier for you to be a bee and, and be selfless. So, you know, yeah, developing self-worth and, and, and making it steady will make me think about it less. And then I can just be of service, like, and be living in the moment even more because I'm not always thinking about myself. Mm. Yeah. So if I'm hearing right in between the lines is it's less about focusing inward on the self. It's about focusing outwards on others. When you focus on outwards on others, then the self-importance goes towards it out so you don't you don't worry so much about your your own self-importance is that accurate i think it's not totally accurate i think it's when you are able to go inward and really work through all your demons which is you know the judge within you the part that wants you know recognition and like all these demons inside you have to go within and be okay sitting for hours with yourself, being alone and, and still being able to be in a joyful place. So you have to do that and think about yourself. You have to go within first and be really selfish about that and courageous to look at your own demons. Then you will be able to come out with less ego and more at peace and really allows you then to serve from a place where you're not serving others to build up your own ego. You're serving others just because this person is in front of you and you're like, okay, I'll help this person. It's, it's not like, oh, you know, trying to make yourself feel better because you are able to be a serve, like a teacher or be of service. But some people, then switch their whole identity to, I need to be of service. If I'm not of service, then something's wrong with me. Mm. And that is still coming from a place of ego and pride. Mm -hmm. what, what, okay, that's great. What is the come from of this action I'm about to take? Is it coming from a place of, let me be of service such that I can feel better about myself? Or is it ever flowing you overflow with gratitude and service such that of course it's easy is that what you mean yeah it's just like it's a natural it's all yeah it's kind of like oh if someone shows up and i can help them great you know like so but you, yeah yeah go ahead but but i'll say this though as a student of personal development myself if you look at any kind of learning journey in the beginning, it's very mechanical. It takes a tremendous effort to do something. But as you get better and better at it, you go from unconsciously unconscious incompetence to uh, conscious competence to anyway, ultimately you go to unconscious competence, yeah. right? So there's that journey there. So you go from a lot of effort to no effort. <clears throat> do you feel that is this desire to help is the same. You go on the same journey or is it more just you naturally have this, you overflow with helpfulness and you naturally want to help people. And, and then I ask you this question specifically to you, Jenny, because you are someone who occurs to me 
who effortlessly want to help others. Oh, thank you. I I would say it's true. At the beginning, it it does feel more self-serving. I guess this litmus test is how much do I feel bad if I wasn't able to help someone or or someone rejected my my offer to help them. So that maybe at the beginning it was more forced. I, I think I was, I don't, I, I, I actually don't know how to answer the question. It's, 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 it's a really challenging question to, to ask. So I, I didn't ask from the point of view of getting an answer is more of an inquiry together, right? Mm -hmm. I certainly don't have a crisp answer there myself. But the best way I can articulate is even in just in terms of helpfulness, there's the egoic mind and there's the higher self from my mental model. You know how I love mental models, right? So the egoic mind is self-interested. The higher self is other interested. So it does take a lot of effort for me to not be self-interested and then to be other interested. In the beginning, in the beginning it does take a lot of effort. It's very much what's in it for me, but in the angle, the action is servicing others. But over time, I, I experience the true joy of standing for others, to seeing other transform from no possibility to possibility. So now I have a roadmap so I can easily just say, mm -hmm. yeah, of course, let me follow my intuition, even without knowing what the next steps are, and then just follow that. So that's my personal journey. Mm. I thought of another incident. Go ahead. Um, so one day I was just walking down the hill to my gross to towards my co-working space. And I usually don't make any stops. I just walk directly from home to my co-working space. But that day somehow intuitively, right, without even thinking, I feel like I should go through this uh, supermarket and use the restroom. And so I went in and there's this lady standing outside the restroom already waiting to get in. And apparently she's been waiting for 20 minutes. So I asked the cashier about what the situation is and he said, yeah, you know, someone is in there. So I knew of another place down the road where there are restroom. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna head there. Do you wanna come with me? And then this, this lady joined me. She was an Uber driver, just needed to find a place to go to the bathroom. And she was so thankful at the end. You know, it's almost like I, I felt like a hero that day. I, I saved her bladder. And <laughs> it was totally oh coincidental how everything unfolded. I had almost like nothing to do with it. Like it, 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 in some ways, like I felt like a hero, but I felt like I didn't do, really do anything. You know? I was just there at the right time. And that is the idea of having things come through me. It's when I'm helping, it's not I'm creating the help. Somehow whoever shows up in my path was put there by some, some other universal force. And somehow intuitively that day, I need to go to the bathroom in the supermarket. 
And there's so many things in life that happens that way where I may think, oh, it will go, I'm going to have a conversation with this person and I think it's going to go this way. But then it turned out to be something else. I, I think letting go of knowing how you're going to help, just being in the I don't know space, I don't know how I'm going to help, but life will show me and being like eyes wide open, curious, and looking out for opportunities where you could help. And it's great. And at the same time, knowing that if you weren't able to help anyone that day, doesn't mean that there's anything wrong <laughs> with me. <laughs> it's hard, like I, like I try always to, it's easy to feel good when I help someone. But then can I also feel just as good when I didn't help someone? Yeah. Yeah, going back to that yin yang sign again, right? The yang is intentionality, the yin is surrender, and find the harmony point somewhere in the middle. Can you do both? Yeah. Be intentional about helping, be intentional about cultivating magic moments like that that you described earlier. At the same time, not to be so attached to. I must have one today. <laughs> okay, let me enforce an outcome, right? Like that. So, okay. Beautiful. One thing I actually do want to say, and one of your Give Glow group members made a point to send me a message privately saying this oh. without Give Glow, I don't think I would ever have found a like-minded community of women. This group is nourishing on an emotional and spiritual level. Inclusivity and kindness lead the way to bring women from all walks of life together. So one thing that I do wanted to say about this, this journey of finding one's worth, you somehow cultivated a community of women supporting each other emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, all of it, right? Was it accidental or was it somewhere in the middle of intentional and surrender? Uh, I think I have been very blessed to have a certain energy given to me that somehow makes people feel safe when they're around me. And that just attracted this unique group of women. And because my, I now know through all these spiritual journeys that uh, you have introduced me to, my mission in life is to be a good friend to many. That uh, when I set out to forgive glow, I wanted it to be a community. I didn't want it to be the Jenny Z brand. It just The Jenny Z show, no? Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was, I just don't want that. And so I knew I wanted community and I know I love being a good friend. And so I think with those intentions, just walking my path, this was what manifested. I didn't, when I started Gift Glow, I really had no idea what it's going to do, what it's, where it's going to go. So I end when it will end. You know, I'm also open to it the way it is now. Maybe, maybe the last chapter of Gift Glow. I, I don't know the whole surrender thing again. Like I, I'm just going to see what shows up 
and I do get spiritual messages just from different places, including meditation or just signs, universe sensing. So I, I am sure it will continue to guide me um, in where gift glow is going to go. So let's hone in on that mo moment because we had talked about, again, going through this transition from being grounded, getting silence, right? So that way you can receive life is happening through me. You had talked about uh, what else? When I talked about what else did we talk about? Talk about a lot of different topics, right? Essentially being open to what makes me feel good. So that way you can explore different options, right? And then now you're leaning to this particular opportunity, you wanted to formulate uh, a community in this case, give glow, right? People are now being attracted to your certainty, the direction that you're heading towards your purpose, right? Being a friend to many. Talk to us about cultivating a community. Is there any selection cri uh, criteria that you have? Is there any vision statement? Is there any manifesto of sorts, right? So that way, People can immediately self-identify as a give glow -er. <laughs> Um, There are some information on my website, the giveglow.com website, uh, that kind of gives you a flavor of what I hope to achieve, which is to bring out the light in everyone uh, so that everyone can glow from within and uh, and that I believe everyone is a mirror for one another. And that's why community is so important because you get to discover your glow by being with others. You will be able to see how you bring out the light in others too. So there are those type of concepts that, and I also, in the past when I post events, I may, I've had some values that I have listed, but now I don't even remember <laughs> what they were. Um, I think people just get a sense of what it is by the description, you know, the words, the language, and people self-select out too. It's not every person that comes to a GiveGlow gathering or event uh, becomes a loyal GiveGlow member. So I think as an organ, like a community, person and and i i was given this wisdom recently from someone i talked to like i no longer call myself a community builder and i i kind of like yeah i don't i maybe i'm not just a community co-creator i'm not a community builder because if it's truly community then it's a co-creation mm. so um I do, the only rule that I have ever set out, um, and I don't even know if most of the members know, is I don't really want to talk about politics. I wouldn't, you can post pretty much anything on the site, but um, no politics. I find that to be really divisive. And so, yeah, I, I, I try my best to practice kindness. And I think this is still a, work in progress very much. Mm. Kindness, as spiritually have been told to me, is defined as being loving and accepting of all kinds. Mm. So anyone that shows up in front of me, join the community, or just shows up in my life, I'm always testing myself. Can I be loving and accepting of them? All, obviously, like everyone, there are things that bugs me. There are, you know, 
personality clashes, there's things like that, but is a constant practice uh, of being loving, accepting of all kinds. But I still have that one rule of no politics. Right. Because that's too divisive. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. So say someone who's watching and listening to this, they have now went through the process, they've grounded themselves, they have looked through the different opportunities, they're now choosing to be courageous to, to live their purpose, right? And, and they have a lot of runway to do that because they have simplified their lifestyle. Now they're looking for uh, allies to walk mm -hmm. with. Do you have any suggestions tactically to help them say, hey, you know, try this on, try that on, actionable tactics to experiment with? It sounds like you already point to the importance of having people around you to help you on this hero's journey because it's not so easy. So finding like-minded people, finding people who have been on the path before you to be your guide is really, for me, really great. I, I have friends like you and others that, you know, I feel like I talk to them once every month or other month and you kind of check in with each other and, and you have this deep friendship where you really have no judgment for each other. You really only have the best hopes for one another. So no matter what this person shares you, there's always that love underneath that it doesn't really matter. And having that type of support is, is really essential. Someone that understands you, that understands why you are taking the path you're taking. So many people who are gonna be looking at you like, you're crazy. <laughs> Um, and it's easy for you to think you're crazy too, but, uh, but if you have friends who understands you, then you don't feel like you're so crazy. Right. So you mentioned a few things, someone who understands you, someone who loves you and someone who accepts you for who you are. These are some of the criteria that you've intuitively share. Correct. Yeah. Well, correct. thank you for including me in, in that, on that list. I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. So and on the tactical level, I also create a regular check-in monthly or every, you know, whatever frequency that works. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there any specific agenda on the call? <laughs> Again, tactical, <laughs> right? The tactical. So I want to um, really hone in on the topics. Yeah. I used to have accountability calls. Okay. So, yeah. And and I think you can do that if you know that you have a certain, you know, desire. And so you're checking in with each other once a week on your progress. And as a counterbe partner, my way, more the feminine way, it's not to make the other person feel bad or make yourself feel bad for not taking enough steps, but to help each other, you know, just acknowledge that we're human and, you know, it didn't get to what I thought I would get to this week or just having a friend, yeah? So, because ultimately the accountability is to yourself, not to your accountability partner. Uh, and I think that's when I was starting out. Um, 
once you build up enough stability, I think, then then it's then everybody can be your accountability partner. Every phone call can be accountability can be a check in with yourself. I love that. It's similar to when you are we're changing analogies a little bit here. You're you're nurturing a sapling growing into an oak tree. In the beginning, it requires a lot of TLC, tender loving care, right? Make sure that it's because an idea is fragile. The sapling is fragile. Anything could just kill it, blow it off. So that's in the beginning. And then as you get stronger and more stable, the certainty is there and you have more allies than your oak tree. Then oak tree, you know, it's really challenging to knock it down even, right? So, so that way you can be more accountability, intentionality, holding them to account, powerful promises and requests and so forth. Is that an accurate recap of what you share? Yeah, I think so. Beautiful. So in in leaning in your, on your journey for self-worth and your self-discovery journey, what's, uh, what other pivotal path or actions can you make suggestions for them to take on? Mm, self-love, I think it's the biggest challenge in this journey, but it's also the most biggest lever in helping me in my self-worth. So love and self-acceptance and self-compassion, they're all so similar. Um, but I would define this because it was a spiritual message I will share here. The kindness, being loving, accepting of others um, of all kinds uh, also applies to me, which is being loving and accepting of all qualities within myself. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I do that, that helps me be more kind to others too. So uh, in the journey, you're going every you know it's, there's a lot of struggle, but kindness seems to be the being loving and kind to yourself is the first step I think to breaking through any challenge. Um, mm-hmm. Agree hundred percent. I think from the, the prototypical idea of personal development is there are demons and dragons and devils or whatever, you know, that's within us. Let's go kill it. Let's confront it and kill it. So I try that and it's my very much like, um, trying to hold on to a balloon down the ocean. It requires a lot of force. You can suppress it for a while, but the moment you lose your attention, it comes up even stronger. And then, so I want to share a powerful uh, mantra actually with you and also with whoever is watching. I think it's very, very useful here. A powerful mantra that really helped me quiet down the internal critic and not from the place of suppression, but from a place of integration, from a place of self-love, self-compassion. 
it is this. So what you do is you point to yourself on your heart and say, even though whatever negative criticism that you have. So one of my podcast guests shared with me, he had an inner voice of I'm so ugly, right? So even though I'm so ugly, I love and accept myself. And the fact that I'm so ugly, this voice in my head is there because it is a part of me. So that way it's no longer something that's outside of you. This inner voice is critic, but you love it no matter what, because it's a part of you. Mm. So that to me is the fastest way to just get that immediate calmness. No longer there's that energy trying to escape my control of suppression and denial. So beautiful, my friend. Anything else you wanted to share before we complete? So for we cover a lot of different ranges. We talked about grounding. We talked about looking for different opportunities, following your body, right? Follow your intuition. We talked about finding allies. We talked about building community. And then we talked about self-love, self-care. Out of everything that they hear, Jenny's experience, what's one thing you will recommend them to take an action on such that it makes a difference for them starting today? Self-love and kindness, I think, uh, is my message. Find the own, your own light. And as you said, what you resist, you know, the shadow parts of us persist. So learn to embrace them and laugh at yourself and humor, laughing at myself, being also serious about myself are also still things I'm working on. Yeah, life doesn't have to be so serious. Well, I think a lot of times we make it too serious. The levity and kindness. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. So for as so for anyone who is listening for this and they want to follow your journey, your offering, where do we send them to? Go to giveglow.com. My email's on there. There are places right if you have a question yeah and i'll be better at oh and i uh, just subscribe to the newsletter and then i'll send out any events that i'm having through the newsletter yeah. thank you thank you jenny for sharing your journey of reinventing yourself from achievement oriented executive top business school to now standing for love and acceptance and really generously share tactically how to think about going through a transition like that from a place of being grounded from a place of finding your direction from a place of defining your opportunities from a place of practicing self-love and self-care so thank you so much for being here Thank you, CK, for the opportunity.
Wonderful. Let's stop.